So we're in Daniel. Last week we did most of chapter 11. And chapter 11 is what I call the soap opera. And what that is, is the struggle between the Seleucids and the Ptolemies as it affects Israel. So the back and forth. And we went through that and assigned names to the king of the north and the king of the south, which of course, who they were varied over time. When we got to verse 36 in Daniel 11, things change because we have a king now that is going to do some stuff that did not happen historically. So up until verse 36, the soap opera is recording history. Daniel wrote it before it happened, so it was prophesying history, but the actual events track precisely with what Daniel prophesied. So as we hit 36, we are coming out of what is history to us and what was prophecy to Daniel. So from Daniel's perspective, it was prophecy. From our perspective, it's history. We are coming out of that section now. From Daniel's perspective, it's still prophecy. Daniel hasn't changed. From our perspective, it is now also prophecy because the events from Daniel 11.36 on have not yet happened. So now we're in 11.36. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. A couple of things this could be. Most people that do this commentary think that this king is the little horn or the king that is yet to come. He shows up in a couple of places. If you go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Yeshua Messiah and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. As those of you know who have read Thessalonians, which all of you have, I'm sure, multiple times, Paul is writing to a church that thinks it's missed the second coming. They're all a Twitter because people are dying and so forth, and they thought, Messiah would be back by now. And he's saying, calm down. It isn't going to happen until the man of lawlessness is revealed. I personally believe, and commentaries I have read say, that this is the same guy that Daniel is talking about in chapter 11, verse 36. The other place he has mentioned, two places in Revelation at least. So I'm in Revelation 13 now. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on his horn and blasphemous names on his head. The beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet like a bear, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of his heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against him? The beast was giving a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, 
and was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. The other place that it shows up is in Revelation 17, verses 12 and 13. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven and goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind and hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called chosen and faithful. So this being is described several places in scripture, not just here in Daniel. The idea, however, is he will be a world ruler. He will magnify himself above every God. And again, those of you who have been in my Bible studies for any length of time know that the normal course of human empire is they devolve into emperor worship. And what happens is the emperor gets delusions of godhood and has himself deified and gets worshipped as a god. So that happened with Pharaoh, that happened with Caesar, it's happened in lots of other places. And there's often some confusion. The business of the divine right of kings, you all know that one, right? That's sort of the Christian version of this. Well, I'm not personally a god, but God has made me his representative here on earth which is sort of as close to being a god as I can get without overtly going into blasphemy. So the idea then that this final king would in fact mix earthly rule with worship goes throughout human history. And when it happens, it isn't going to be anything that is going to bother most people. And lots and lots of the world is going to just fall right in there. No big thing. Of course, God says that we're not supposed to do that, and we understand that, but understand that when it does happen, you're going to say, how can they be so stupid? And they aren't stupid. They are simply doing what empires have done ever since Nimrod. Let me take a slight digression. One of the things that it's important to understand is Satan leads God, not as in authority, but in time. So what happens is Satan can read the book just like you can read the book, and he knows what's coming. So what Satan does is gets in ahead of the move of God and introduces a counterfeit. And what happens is people follow the counterfeit, and then when they get burned following the counterfeit, they in fact then do not follow the real thing that comes later. Because I tried that once and I got really badly burned, I'm not messing with that stuff anymore. And one of the things you see in scripture is Satan very often leads God in that he will come in and do something that is predicted so that when God finally does come and do his thing, a lot of people are going to say, oh, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. So there's going to be all that going on too. Continuing, he shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the God of his father or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other God, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these. A God whom his fathers did not know he shall honor. 
with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. Several things going on there. Thing one, he will not pay any attention to the gods of his fathers. This leads some people to believe that he's going to be a Jew. And the idea there is that he is an apostate Jew. I am not pushing that. I am simply telling you that that's one of the interpretations of this that you're going to find. This expression that he will ignore the gods of his fathers shows up other places in prophecy, and that leads people to speculate that this king will be of Jewish descent or a Jew. He shall honor the god of fortresses. Nobody's really sure what that means, but in the Greek and Roman pantheon, you had the god and goddess of war, Mars and Athena. So the idea then of honoring the god of fortresses, if you will, it could very well be that he is honoring Mars or Athena. Those who acknowledge him he shall load with honor. In other words, what we've got here is essentially crony capitalism. If you are on the king's team, the king makes you rich. And he shall divide the land for a price. I am assuming that that means Israel. You're talking something on the order of two-state solution or something like that, and he will accept bribes to do that, which, by the way, should make you really worry about Mrs. Clinton because every foreign leader on the planet has bribed her. Verse 40. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. He shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land, and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. By the way, one of the commentaries that I'm using for some of this is the Bible Knowledge Commentary by Dallas Theological Seminary. Again, if anybody wants to chase that down. One of the speculations is the king of the south up until now, in the book of Daniel, the king of the south has been the king over Egypt, and specifically Egypt and Libya. In other words, that whole North African swath has been under the control of the king of the south. Could very well be the same thing again, that Egypt will come against them. Could also be the Arabs in the Gulf states. So you've got Saudi Arabia, you've got Egypt, you've got the Gulf states, which are all south of Israel. And it could very well be that you will have another Arab-Israeli war where they come up from the south. It's also possible that coming down from the north, you could have Iran. That's possible. This could also be the Gog and Magog war of Ezekiel 38. So there's all sorts of things this could be. I have no idea what it is. But the idea there is that this last king comes in and fights against this two-prong attack that's coming from the north and the south and prevails and sets up camp in Israel. Who you're speculating about depends on who's on the board at the time you're reading this. And people have been reading this for 2,000 years, actually longer than that. And I am sure that every time they read it, they put the major powers, ooh, is that going to be X, Y, or Z? And so far, it hasn't. At some point, it will, and I don't know who it's going to be. Verse 42, 
He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and silver, and all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. He shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. All right. The other thing we have got is the 200 million man army in Revelation that is going to come across the Euphrates River, which is the east. So at least in this scenario, as I understand it, you got the king of the south and the king of the north coming to fight. This last king comes in and breaks that up. And in the process of breaking that up, he then looks east and discovers, oh, I have another problem coming in. Could be lots of things. Could be Gog and Magog followed by the 200 million men. Could be Turkey and Iraq going after Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states. All of those are possible scenarios. I have no idea. And as I say, as people have read this over the centuries, they have plugged in the major players on the chessboard and say, ooh, is this going to be Turkey? Or ooh, is this going to be the Ottoman Empire? Or ooh, is this going to be whatever? Speculation about this stuff is really fun. And I have no problem with it whatsoever. Where I get sort of annoyed is where people get locked into a position and start yelling at each other and people do that. What I'm trying to do is say, if you want to speculate about Turkey and Iran and Saudi Arabia and Egypt and Libya and all those kinds of things, knock yourself out, have a great time, argue among yourselves. All of that's great, but don't get so invested in any one position that you get grumpy with each other. That's all I'm saying. So now we are coming up on chapter 12. At that time shall arise Michael the great prince who is in charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. This is what's obviously known as the Great Tribulation. That is spoken of in Revelation, obviously, spoken of here in Daniel. It's also spoken of in Thessalonians. So it sort of peppered all over the scriptures. So 12, one and a half again. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, the commentary I was reading, which is a Christian commentary, says that this is entirely about the Jews. I, I don't agree. Anyway, the commentary that I read, and the guy that wrote this are rapture mavens. And the standard rapture scenario is Yeshua comes and takes his faithful up into the overhead with him, and everybody has a mezzanine seat while Satan and the Jews duke it out. That's the standard rapture protocol. It is not one that I find persuasive. So anyway, in verse 2 we have a resurrection and a judgment. So many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. 
Again, that sounds to me like the white throne judgment. Verse 3, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Those who are wise I am taking to be those who are not deceived, and then those who turn many to righteousness as those who are out doing what Messiah said to do when he left, make disciples. So I see those as two different things. Those who persevere to the end without being deceived, and those who are in there trying to turn people back to God as things continue to fall apart. Verse 4, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So there's two things that are being said there. Thing one is Daniel is a sealed book. That's as opposed, of course, to Revelation, which is an open book. So my perspective on Revelation is that it's not cryptic at all. It is not hard to understand. It is not hidden. It is easy. It is linear. And it is literal because it's not a sealed book. And I believe it's there so we understand and can see what's going on and, and react accordingly. Daniel is a sealed book which is, I think, why attempting to correlate Daniel with Revelation and Thessalonians and Matthew 24 gets you so many of these, well, gee, it could be Gog and Magog, or gee, it could be Saudi Arabia fighting against Iran and Turkey, or gee, it could be, and yeah, it could be, all of those. And the reason that isn't clear, I believe, is because Daniel is sealed, as opposed to Revelation, which is open. And Revelation, by the way, is mostly action. Things happen in Revelation that you can see. You have a plague of darkness over the land. You have islands being moved out of their position. Observable stuff, and Revelation gives you perspective on the observable stuff between the sequences of things you can observe. Then we also have this statement, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase, which is a separate sentence. I think we are living in that time now. People just get on an airplane and fly hundreds of miles. We're having a family reunion in Washington and I'm bringing people all the way from Massachusetts and Colorado to Washington. We're all going to converge, we're going to spend three or four days together and we're all going to go home again. No big deal. And knowledge shall increase. The amount of knowledge that is out there is expanding exponentially. And so I think that situation we are living in right now. What it doesn't say is how long we will live in that circumstance before the end comes. Because the end has not yet come, but it will. Anyway, this many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. I personally believe that that describes what's happening now. Verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. So I'm thinking we've got three beings here. One on one side, one on the other side, and one standing up above the water in the middle. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, swore by him who lives forever 
that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. Time, times, and half a time, for you prophecy buffs, that's three and a half years, at least in the standard interpretation. And it will be from the shattering of the power of the holy people. And again, you all know that in Revelation, the Antichrist makes a treaty for seven years, and he breaks it in the middle. And the treaty is, of course, with Israel. And the breach of that treaty results in him setting up a statue to himself in the Holy of Holies. So this is referring to the same incident as in Revelation. Verse 8. I heard, but I did not understand. All right, guys, if Daniel didn't understand it, and he was standing there in the presence of two angels and Yeshua who were explaining it to him, don't get too wrapped around the axle about this stuff. So, verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Now, that's two different questions. Question number one is when. Question number two is what's going to happen. Verse 9, he said, go your way, Daniel. No, she doesn't answer the question. He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. So everybody assumes that what we've got here is the three and a half years, which is 1,260 days. Right? Time times half a time is in Revelation is 1260 days. We got an extra 30 days there. Nobody has any idea what that means. The best speculation I have heard, and this is speculation, is Yeshua starts down in Basra and he goes up north to Jerusalem. And the speculation is that takes him 30 days. But there is a 30 day discrepancy and I don't know what it is and that's the best explanation I've heard, but if somebody's got a better one, by all means, leap in there, because I don't. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. I don't know what that means either. But go your way till the end. You shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. So what he's saying here is, Daniel, you go your way. You are going to live to the end of your allotted time on earth then you are going to die. But at the end, you will stand in your allotted place, which is to say, you will be raised from the dead and you will be judged righteous. And with that, we are at the end of the canonical part of Daniel. Please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.